Every week, I realize one thing about the vaping community and the industry as a whole. We're fucked. Hey guys, this is Field of Vapor. Hey folks, this is Pete Bissardo. Hey guys, this is Ruby Roo, and you're listening to Smoke Free Radio. gentlemen welcome to another episode of smoke free radio right here on the vp live network the telephone lines are up kevin paid the bill 347-308-8329 press one if you want to participate with any questions or comments a little bit later on i'm going to try to get dr constantinos farsalinos on the program with us he is currently in washington uh attending the fda um Hearings that are that are going on there for for the e-cig industry. Uh, of course, part one was today, and part two will be tomorrow. I was traveling today, and uh, uh, Tom Baker was was keeping me up to date on Facebook with everything that was going on. But I did some catching up on it, so hopefully, I'll be able to get him on the second part of the program to kind of fill us in on his experience attending the FDA conference today. Uh, a couple quick things that I that I want to mention. Uh, first of all, uh, once again, if you haven't seen my video on Facebook and on the temperature study uh, webpage now, uh, of course, it was a quick video done in the hotel room with with me and Dr. F, but we felt it was necessary getting out there. Once again, I want to thank everybody that participated in t- in the temperature study. And, um, and I went against all my principles. Uh, if you remember back when the ice bucket challenge happened, you know I got called out many times, and I just, uh, just, it just, I, I just didn't believe in it. But now I've come to the realization to get anything done, uh, not in this community, or not only in the vaping community, but in this freaking country, 
we have to do an ice bucket challenge. Ice bucket challenge. That is the solution for the future of America. You want anything to get done, do an ice bucket challenge. So, unfortunately, I had to come to that to to jump start this thing. Uh, a lot of the comments that I heard by some of the vendors were, I didn't know. I didn't know nothing about the study, which I, I believe. I mean, if 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 you're not really on the internet, you're busy. You're you're a businessman. You're trying to run your you know your company. You might miss it. If your company is that big and it's keeping you busy all the time, you should hire somebody to take care of that for you. And and this has a lot to do with with the first part of the show and my attendance to the TMA Vapor Conference. But uh, once again, thanks to everybody, especially the vapors. Um, the, the the vaping community response was overwhelming. Um, the five, the ten dollar donations really add up. If you go down through that list, yes, granted there were some some vendors that that really stepped up. Um, and and I don't want to start naming them because I'm going to forget somebody. Somebody's going to get offended. But there were there were vendors donating from five hundred to five thousand dollars. So much appreciated for for that, and all the vendors that stepped up. But the five and ten dollar donations were overwhelming, and they really do add up. Plus, it gives us one huge benefit. When I was at the TMA conference this week, and they talked about the Reynolds e vapor study, which is a great study, by the way. The study is done with a great protocol. However, there's a huge problem. It was funded by Big Tobacco, and there's not one health agency. There's going to take it seriously. However, uh, Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign paid by vapors all across this world, and of course, a lot of vendors, can be criticized as an industry-funded study. That is the great thing about studies that are done like that. When you publish this thing, you claim that you have you know, nothing to claim from one company that came in and put this money to get this study done. This was a study that was done by the vaping community. And that carries a lot of weight. The funding of studies carries a lot of weight in the way that they're going to be published. Another misconception, partially because a lot of vapors want to read the first line and not carry on to the rest of the document, a big misconception was that this is one study. And that simply is not true. If you read the rest of the article, and I know it's the introduction was pretty long, yet you'll understand that there's there's multitude of studies here. At least four studies are going to come out of this. The first one to be published at the end of January. I'm going to talk a little bit more specific about the temperature study when, when I talk about the presentations that the scientists did at the TMA. But keep in mind that if we get four studies out of a $72,000 campaign, that is huge. That is huge. Um, I see a comment why the Igor Bernstein study is, is being ignored. I don't think it's being ignored. I think that the uh, Igor Bernstein study takes a look at various studies, and a lot of these studies are international as well too, so keep that in mind. It's something that was talked about at the TMA. Again, let me get to that, and I'll explain to you why. Um, they're claiming that we don't have enough U.S.-based science on this product, and partially they're right, Okay. Partially, they're right. Not to discredit all the studies that have been done internationally, but that's how the system works. If something is not in their favor, they're going to try to find the best way to manipulate the answer. And the answer here is that we don't have enough U.S.-based clinical studies about the product. Um, we do have some uh, some breaking news, I think. Go ahead. I have a story breaking. We're going to need team coverage. We have crews on the scene. Here's what I know right now. Open the door. It's going to get kicked in. Get out of me. You're looking at an active 
rescue operation. Case of H1N1. We broke the story at WDTN.com. This is Two News. Take a look at what had people scrambling on your side. The Atlantis has been cloned. (laughs) It's funny. This is what people care about. This is what people care about. The Atlantis has been cloned. It's trending in all social media networks. Granted, you can get one for $17 now. That's a good thing. I mean, does it feel good? Does it kind of feel like for for vapors? And and does it feel good that that a Chinese product was cloned? (laughs) Going from $45 to $17? I guess it feels good. But uh, but if that if that is what you consider breaking news, boy, we have a huge problem. The real breaking news here is that a child is dead after ingesting liquid nicotine. Not many details yet. Let me play this clip from Before the plane TV is station. Dead and authorities tell News 10 ABC he ingested liquid nicotine, the fluid that goes inside e-cigarettes. They're calling it a tragic accident. One they hope will bring more awareness to the dangers of the, that that liquid does pose. And News 10 ABC's Amy Cutler joins us now live with the details and reaction from neighbors. Amy. Well, Elisa, this is the ambulance company that responded to that accident. They were there within minutes, but they admit there wasn't much they could do. I was sick. It was, it's disgusting. Rodney Strait, a father and grandfather, lives right across the road from where this tragedy unfolded. Police calling it a horrific accident, saying a baby somehow got his hands on a container of liquid nicotine and ingested it. It was about four Tuesday afternoon that police say they were called here to Garfield Street for an unresponsive one-year-old. When they arrived, they tell us they learned that the male victim had ingested liquid nicotine. He died less than two hours later at the hospital. It was very disheartening that they realized this could happen in a small community. Um, and we hope it doesn't happen to anyone else. Police declined my request for an interview, but they did send out more information about liquid nicotine, hoping to alert the public about what officials call a growing problem. Liquid nicotine is legal in New York and sold as a supplement to e-cigarettes, but it's considered highly toxic. Only a half teaspoon can kill. But the containers in which they're sold are not required to be childproof. And the colors and flavors it comes in can be enticing to children. No different than any household cleaner that they would use. It, it needs to be stored properly. It needs to be locked. You know, if they have toddlers in the house, um, they just have to be very careful with it. Officials say ingesting it can cause vomiting, an increase, then decrease in heart rate, decreased blood pressure, and convulsions. The EMTs and paramedics here says the CDC really needs to develop guidelines for how best to respond more on liquid nicotine and where this likely came from coming up live at 6 o'clock. For now, we're live in Amsterdam. I'm Amy Cutler for News 10 ABC. The only person that made any sense in that freaking news piece was the EMS guy. Thank God for this EMS guy that nailed it. It's a chemical. This is such a tragedy. You know, I'm a father. I mean, I can't imagine what these parents are going through. The news media did a horrible piece here, first of all, claiming that it was liquid nicotine. They're insinuating it was a refillable product when they don't know. We don't know exactly what the kid ingested to cause this tragic death. Most likely, from what I can determine, this is probably a DIY Nick that was in the house. 
a diluted e-liquid, even at 24 milligrams, I just find it hard to believe. But if it was, I mean, clearly the fault here falls on the caregiver. From some research that I did online, it did appear that the parents weren't there. Somebody was looking after the kid. But it all falls down to responsibility. What the hell happened to responsibility? We knew this was going to come. Come on, guys. Let's not fool ourselves. Accidents like this will happen. It's unfortunate, but they will happen. It happens with bleach around 7,000 times a year. Batteries will explode. People will get hurt. We know this is going to happen. Unfortunately, we're not ready to combat it. What's coming now, especially in New York State? Thankfully, it was... Thankfully. There's nothing thankful about this story, but it was northern New York State, but... Blumenthal is going to have a field day with this, especially in a state that has history of people coming after refillable product. This is not good. This story will be blown up all over the press. Brace for it for the next 48 hours. It's not going to be pretty. We need to be ready as a community, though, to combat stories like this. We need to educate people. We need to find exactly what happened before people go out there and make press stories that liquid nicotine that is usually used for refillable electronic cigarettes, as the lady stated, has absolutely no clue what she's talking about. Once again, the only person that made any sense to that was the EMS guy. A true professional saying that you have to take the responsibility and store it like you store other hazardous household goods. It is unacceptable for a child one year old to get their hands on any form of toxic chemical. I don't care if it's liquid, DIY, bleach, Tide Pods, whatever it is. I feel bad for the family. I really do. I I can only imagine... Um, you know, what they're going through. Um, on a more positive note, uh, congratulations to the American Vaping Association and Gregory Connolly. Uh, he got a, a spot on Fox News uh, talking about uh, the FDA regulations. It should air tomorrow or Friday. Uh, as soon as I find details, I will certainly post it on all my social media networks, so keep an eye out for that. Also, the AVA made a PR announcement today um, talking about a study that, that was released by the American Heart Association uh, Cir- Circulation Journal, which is, which is pretty funny. Um, the meta-analysis of six previously published studies found an 18% smoking cessation rate after six months for smokers who used vapor products containing nicotine. This compares to an average cessation rate of 7% at six months for FDA-approved nicotine replacement therapy products like the nicotine gum patch and lozenges. The study demonstrates exactly why e-cigarettes and vapor products have become so popular among smokers looking to quit, said Gregory Connolly. For smokers looking to quit, vaping is undeniably a viable option. Additionally, research continues to show that vaping is especially helpful for smokers who have tried and failed to quit multiple times with government-approved methods like the nicotine patch and gum. And genuine public health advocates should cheer this new study. I totally agree, and a good job of putting this out on a PR today. And it got some traction. It was quoted in a couple of car, uh, articles, and this is exactly what we need. We need good PR in a very, very difficult and trying time for this product and this industry as a whole. All right. 
moving ahead over the uh, these past couple of days, I I I was in um, Leesburg, Virginia, right outside Washington. I attended the E Vapor Research Collaborative funding conference. Now, what is this? Okay, uh, this was hosted by the TMA, the Tobacco Merchant Associations. And immediately when I posted this on Facebook, said people, you know, oh, you got tobacco merchant associations, people, you know, open up your eyes and see what's happening here. Don't you think that a lot of these tobacco companies know that vapor is the future? Obviously, for an organization like a TMA that has been around for 100 years to spend two days to have a conference on research on e-vapor products, that is groundbreaking news. The TMA has shifted a lot of their strategy and a lot of these conferences that, that, that they have every year, especially the 100-year conference coming up in May and, um, in Virginia, which I'm going to attend. They see the future. They know where the future is at. They know combustible tobacco is dying. So we have these FDA proposed deeming regulations, right? We know that based on the proposed grandfather date, which... We're trying to move, but yet we don't know if it will move. It, it's unlikely that any substantial equivalent application can be filed simply because everything that's on the market today did not exist back at the proposal date. It's plain and simple, guys. Just understand that. Get over it. There's nothing you can do about it unless the date has changed. And so far, even with a letter that I talked about last week, that was submitted, we don't know if that date will be changed. So at the same time, a lot of these e-liquid manufacturers and these distributors don't understand that if you're going to file an application with the FDA, it's going to take a whole lot more than money, and it's going to take a whole lot more than a clean room. It's going to take a whole lot than sending your your e-liquid to Enthalpy to get tested. That's not the only thing that you have to submit with an application. For a modified risk product, you're going to have to su- submit clinical studies. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more into detail what that, what that entitles. But just to give you an idea, Swedish Match was at this conference. They have filed a modified risk application with the FDA, which included 150,000 pages. Do you know how much that costs for one product? A lot of zeros. A lot of zeros. So don't think that because you have a clean room, because you have an ISO 9000 lab, or because you have a couple million in the bank, you're going to be able to file an application and get approved. If it doesn't meet the criteria depending on the application that you're going to file, whether a new product or a pre-market application, you have to submit data to back up the application of the product that you are going to apply for. Modified risk, you have to prove that it's a modified... You have to prove that your product is less harmful than the existing product that is out there. Financially, that is not feasible for any company that's out there. I guarantee you even the big stick battery companies alone can't afford to file. That's why this TMA conference happened. To explore what these mid-sized to large-sized non-tobacco related e-vapor companies, what they can do to fund the appropriate research. Because independently, it is extremely difficult to accomplish. 
This was basically a brainstorm on what the industry can do as far as research to fund collectively. To inform the FDA policymakers and, of course, the general public what e-cigarettes are or e-vapor, as they call it. Kind of funny. E-vapor. I actually like e-vapor better than e-cigarettes, believe it or not. So part of this was bringing in two of the top scientists in the world when it comes to clinical studies. Um, Dr. Michael Siegel from the Boston University School of Public Health. Uh, Dr. Konstantinos Farsalinos, of course, from the Onassis Cardiac Surgery Center in Athens, Greece. Or the good doctor, as many of us like to call him. And uh, another one of my idols that I was very happy to see again, Dr. Ricardo Pelosa from the University of Catania in Italy. So they came in and they presented protocols for studies. And, um, and I'll get into them briefly and kind of explain what everybody presented. They brought these scientists in to present some protocols and see how these protocols can be funded by the industry. Not one company can fund it for a couple reasons. Number one, it costs a lot of money. Okay, I mean, Dr. Siegel's proposal uh, is at around $4 million. That's a lot of money for one company to shell out. But also, as I mentioned earlier with the RJR study, if it's funded by one company in the industry, it's very, very difficult to present it as a valid study. So let me take you about uh, briefly on the regulatory perspective of the FDA. And I want all the e-liquid manufacturers, all the top dogs in the industry, all those guys that claim they're top-notch, I want you to listen. And I want you to listen. And I want you to share this replay, because I'm not going to be doing one for, for a while. I want you to share this replay with, with all your vendors, all your manufacturers, anybody that you can, for them to understand what it takes to file an application. For a new tobacco product? Appropriate for the protection of the public health. Assessment of the risk and benefits to the population as a whole. Likelihood that users of tobacco products will stop using them. Likelihood that non-users will start using them. That is a very fine line. And well-controlled clinical investigations when appropriate. What have we done from those? (laughs) Do you know any company out there that's able to submit this with their application? By the way, Mike, that was a pun earlier. Don't take it seriously, okay? That was <laughs> that was the irony behind that statement. How about the devices? People say, oh, they can't regulate devices. Bullshit. Safety and effectiveness? The risk versus the benefit? Again, well-controlled investigations, including one or more clinical investigations where appropriate to prove the effectiveness of the device. How many have done that? Do you think that you're going to take a mechanical mod to the FDA where you insert a battery and press a button and make a circuit and submit it for an application and it's going to get approved? What are you going to what, what are you going to submit as a safety on this device? <laughs> So let's talk about the draft guidance on PMTAs, on pre-market applications. 
This is based on what's available right now in the FDA that nobody, in my opinion, not no, I'm not going to say nobody. Again, I, I always try to generalize because I'm so frustrated. But I think that the majority of the market, the majority of the industry has not read. All right? This is free consultation that I'm giving you here. Free. I'll send Stefan to collect the check. This is guidance that's available. Three categories of questions. Comparison of health risks to risks of other products on the market. You can't just simply submit an application and say, hey, hey, here's the cigarette. It is less risk than the traditional tobacco cigarette. Approve uh, me. No. You have to submit studies that compares the health risks of your product versus the other product that's on the market. Can you prove that the likelihood that current tobacco users will cease using tobacco products? And also, this is one of the most sensitive subjects for me personally. Can you prove the likelihood that never users and former users of tobacco products will commence use? We know that vaping is becoming a lifestyle. Who's to blame for that? I'm not the one to judge. But anybody that disagrees with me, you're either marketing that lifestyle or you're completely unaware of what's going on. There is a problem with kids. There is a problem with people coming in to blow clouds with zero nick. There is a problem that the product has become so sexy that it's attracting a new generation of users that have never used a tobacco product before. From an ethical standpoint, I don't have a problem with it. Kids are going to experiment. Youth usage right now is still, after all these years of tobacco control, the biggest problem. I read a study the other day that was 3,200 youth will pick up a cigarette, and out of those, 40% will become full-time smokers. I'd rather they pick up an e-cig. But if we can't prove either or, the FDA will prove it with us. They're spending a lot, a lot of money on research right now, which was well documented at this TMA conference. Other draft guidelines, non-clinical investigations, toxicity, toxicological studies. Who's done any of this to submit with their application? Abuse liability, carcinogenicity, Compared to other tobacco products on the market. How about some other numerous well-controlled clinical investigations? Tobacco users' exposure to tobacco-related compounds. Tobacco user health risk and disease incidents. Patterns. Smoking topography. Frequency of use. Different age groups. Consumer perceptions, including risk perceptions based on the product and its packaging and labeling. Cessation rates for users of the product. The door opened a little bit by the FDA to lesser requirements for electronic cigarettes. FDA requests comment on whether manufacturers of certain categories of products, example, those that contain fewer or substantially lower levels of toxicants consistent with a continuum of nicotine delivery products could support their applications with types of information that would be less burdensome. Did you catch that? 
that could support their applications. So it's one thing following an application, but where's the proof that goes behind it? That's what this conference was about. Clearly, the FDA has cautioned on the data that they were lacking in evidence today at the FDA workshop. Long-term studies to show e-cigarettes are an effective cessation product. Effects in users who might have otherwise quit but instead engage in dual use. And dual use exists. Don't be blind. Dual use exists. And you know why it exists? Because of the freaking cigarette likes that are on the market. That's why it exists. Well, even for, by some vapors, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it. I've seen some predominant figures in the, in the vaping community that still smoke. Cannot lie. I'm sorry. Subjective effects, including craving and withdrawal. Effects of flavors, which is probably going to be one of the biggest hurdles. And, of course, the risks posed by vapor constituents. Just some of the things that you, the manufacturers, those that want to sustain FDA regulations, those that want to have a long-term success in this industry have to think about. Have you thought about that? Or have you thought about how we're going to put, you know, a two-story display at ECC? Or Summit, or VCC, or whatever it is. I don't want to, I'm taking it out on ECC. Are you dumping all your money to marketing? Because that's a short-term goal. You're not going to be around. You need to reinvest into your business if you plan on being around. If you don't, and you have a short-term business plan, that's fine as well. You're part of the fragmentation that I'm going to talk about today. The biggest consideration that I have a problem with is the studies that are already being done by the FDA. Through those circles, $240 million are being spent right now, not only on e-cigarettes, okay, I just want to make sure that that's clarified, but all the products including tobacco cigarettes and modified risk products and snooze and everything that's out there. Big portion is coming out, you know, for e-cigarettes. $240 million. I had to whore myself on Facebook to raise $72,000. Think about that. Think about that. The temperature study was mentioned today at the FDA workshop, by the way. Temperature was brought up. You see why I was bitching and whining for the last two years to raise the money for this study? Everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Some whores never raised that. That's true. Not in a night for sure. But. Have you thought about that? Those of you that watched the FDA workshop, you saw what they talk about temperature. We don't know. How can we submit data for an application on an atomizer if we don't know what the temperature limits are? I mean, it's 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 so easy that it's almost, you know, it frustrates me. It frustrates me to, to no avail. Let's talk a little bit about the presentations. 
Dr. Siegel was there, and um, you've heard about the e-biscuits. I'm sure you have. This has been a big talked-about subject. Um, initially tried to do a crowdfunding campaign for $4 million. Good luck, Dr. Siegel. I really appreciate your work, and uh, and I always enjoy talking to you. You're in my top five idols in, in tobacco harm reduction, but um, unless you plan on getting naked on Facebook and do an ice bucket challenge <laughs> with that good-looking assistant of yours... Uh, no chance. And I like Dr. Siegel's study. Don't get me wrong. I think I think it's needed. I don't think it's as crucial as we think for the FDA, though. Certainly doesn't have the time. One of the things that was talked about Dr. Siegel's study, which part of the aims is to quantify the proportion of smokers trying electronic cigarettes with a desire to quit or cut down on their smoking, who changed their cigarette smoking behavior, uh, increase their cigarette consumption, do not change the cigarette consumption, and so forth and so forth. It, it, it tries to compare these changes in cigarette smoking behavior with e-cigarettes to those observed among smokers randomized to receive the nicotine patch. So they wanted to get 400 participants, 200 on each, uh, 200 on e-cigarettes and 200 on the patches that had the desire to quit smoking. It was going to be a 10-week study. To me... And I think a lot of the people reflected that same thought in that room is that 10 weeks is not enough. 10 weeks is really not enough time to show how effective electronic cigarettes are. Because the methodology here was great. They give them the products, whether it's patches or whether it's an electronic cigarette. They give them a variety of flavors to try. They give them a variety of devices so if you're not satisfied with the device that you got, you have the option to come back and say, you know, I want something bigger. I want something better. I want something different. I want something that feels different in the hand. You had that option. And I think that option that you get at the vape shop experience is why it helps so many people to quit smoking. 347-308-8329 if you have any questions or comments. So I think that the methodology here is great. I just don't think it's enough time. You know, to me, ideally, 10 weeks is it's even... I mean, I see vapors that struggle when they start out, you know, vaping versus smoking. Give it a little bit, you know, a, a, a little bit, maybe six months. Six months would be great. But obviously, that's going to raise the cost, right? <laughs> and poor, poor Michael, he's been trying to lower and lower and lower the cost to get funding for this study, and nobody's stepping up. This study will not be funded, guys. It won't, unfortunately. I hope in the future it is, though, because I really w would like to see the results. I think that it's helpful for the industry, especially from a PR standpoint. It's a great study to use. Then we had um, Dr. Pelosa. Dr. Pelosa had a variety of studies that, that he introduced. Um... I'm not going to go all, you know, over all of them, but um, schizophrenia and smoking was one of them. Uh, blood pressure, uh, which I think is is great. Um, lung function, which I think is another great study. Of course, these are clinical trial studies that require a little bit more money. Um, again, I don't think they're going to be funded. But one of the studies to me was extremely interesting by Dr. Pelosa. 
and it is the vape shop study. The vape shop study wanted to prove that people using second generation devices, and by second generation devices, we're talking about egos and above, given to people within the vape shop experience, makes the success rate double versus a cig alike. That is the theory. If you're going to go into a vape shop and you pick up an ego or second or third generation device, it's going to increase your quit success rate tremendously. To me, I think that study needs to be done for various reasons that I'm going to talk here in a little bit. It just goes to show you how powerful the vape shop is. Because it can improve your vaping experience. You're going to get better hardware. You're going to get more e-liquid cho- cho- choices. But most of all, and this is extremely important, you're going to get a, a, a great deal of professional support in a vape shop that you cannot get in a C-store, Walmart, uh, Target, Kohl's, no matter where else you're going to buy your electronic cigarette. I don't care if it's open vapor or not, by the way. You're going to have the reliability of the staff, the product, the choices, the nicotine levels, the try-before-you-buy experience. All that falls into an umbrella that can increase tremendously the success rates. In fact, during the hypothesis, Dr. Pelosa said that all those numbers of people transitioning to the vape shop to quit smoking can probably increase that number that was presented earlier by Gregory Conley of 18% to double. That would really, a really fantastic study. Dr. Pelosa had, had some really good protocols. Once again, I don't think, (laughs) I don't think they're going to be funded. Finally, Dr. Fasalinos presented his study. Part of it, of course, had the temperature evaporation inside. Uh, as I said earlier, a lot of people thought this was a sub-ohm study, and, uh, which was clearly wrong. Sub-ohm is only one part of, of uh, what he's looking to do. Uh, at least four studies will come out of this. Probably the most important one for me is the dry puff condition. When electronic cigarettes are tested in a lab, the scientists performing the study have no real-time use of the product. So one thing that happens is called the dry buff condition. And the dry puff condition increases, of course, the temperature of the coil as it's burning the wicking material because it is dry. And the exhaled vapor forms aldehydes. It is plain science, folks. I'm not a scientist, but it just makes sense. That, to me, is the most important data. I don't care about sub-booming. To me, as a vapor, as an advocate for this product, to me, that is the most important thing that can come out of this study. So what Dr. F wants to do, he wants to do a real-time condition. So he wants to load up 10 atomizers with 10 devices and have users actually vape them and identify 
the dry buff condition. At the time of the dry buff condition, they can measure the temperature of the coal and they can set a standard. That way, when a study is being done in any freaking lab in the world, they'll have a protocol on the temperature of the coil and what causes the dry buff condition. We know that the exhaled vapor will be an accurate measurement and not burnt wick. Sorry, Russ. <laughs> Along with the other goals of the research proposal, changes in temperature according to water's levels, Changes in temperature according to puff duration. That's important. What happens to the wick when you begin to vape on your atomizer and you hold the button for three or four minutes? So, not minutes. <laughs> Seconds. Does it change from the minute that you press the button by the time that you're done? And what happens in that duration? Total thermal load in relation to power and puff duration. That's extremely important. All these can probably com be combined in one study. Changes in temperature according to wicking material. I think that's extremely important. I can give you a little sneak peek. Well, I can tell you. Cotton keeps the coil cooler than silica in preliminary testing. So I asked the doctor, I was like, why is that so? He says that cotton, the capillary action is is better, it wicks better, it moves e-liquid on the coil faster, so it keeps the coil, the coil cooler. Great information to have. Great information for us, the vapors, you know? I mean... That's stuff that's interesting to me. I'm inhaling something. I want to know what it is. This is a less harmful product. Let's prove it. Changes in temperature according to wick coil setup. He wants to test four different materials, including canthal, nichrome, nickel, and titanium. That would be good information to have. Changes in temperature according to liquid composition. This is critical because we know there's people out there that are using high VG juices. There's people using 50-50s, higher PG juices. Aldehydes released based on thermal load. Again, this is what I talked about earlier. Under certain conditions. And at what thermal load. And I think this has to do with cell bombing as well too because we, what we want to test is that the lower the resistance and the the higher the power, what exactly aldehydes are released and at what level? I can guarantee you no matter what the results are going to be, it's still going to be better than smoking. <laughs> but will the FDA see it that way? Do we have to set a threshold? Do we need an application to submit with it with a study saying that we have a device that can control that? Of course, quantification of the dry puff in the context of aldehyde release. Again, going back, why is this important? And I love the fact that the Dr. F included in his slides news pieces with these screwed up, scary titles, right? 
So he's asking the crowd, why is this important? First slide from the New York Times. Some e-cigarettes deliver a puff of carcinogens. <laughs> That's a great title, right? For us. <laughs> How are you going to explain to your to your aunt afterwards? Your aunt's going to be sending you this this link. And t- yeah, everybody, you know, every vapor has that one aunt or that one friend that hates that you vape. As soon as they see that story, see, I told you, I told you, some e-cigarettes deliver a puff of carcinogens. That's my aunt voice. Oh, sorry about that. You know I'm right. Another timepiece right below that. E-cig still produce carcinogens, studies show. Yahoo News. Studies say e-cigarettes may contain carcinogens similar to regular cigarettes. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a scientist to, to know this is bullshit. I mean, seriously. Business Insider. This was the, 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 the big one that was blasted all over the place. Scientists say e-cigs contain 10 times as many cancer chemicals as cigarettes. We know it's bullshit. But we have to have the science to back it up. Unfortunately, this is the way that the system works. We know it. You guys that are listening know it. Us veteran vapors, we know. We know what a dry puff is. Under realistic conditions, you're not going to sit there and puff on an atomizer that's giving you a dry hit. But the scientists have to see it, have to understand the numbers. I agree the system is broken. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. But this is happening every day in mainstream media, and you know it. Nicotine content in minor alkaloids. This is another study that Dr. F presented. Because we get a lot of criticism concerning the nicotine labeling accuracy. Arguments about potential risk to users. I mean, Dr. Oz, prime example, the other day. Who didn't see Dr. Oz the other day? If you vape and you care about this product, you saw Dr. Oz with that big pharma fist shoved right up his ass. Content of tobacco alkaloids as a measure of nicotine quality used in e-liquids. Some of the stuff that people don't take in consideration, even me, I was I was very, very intrigued by this. Nicotine is oxidized even after it's being bottled. If you vaped on any juice that you've had for a year, you know that. We're unknown of the rate of nicotine oxidation. It could be affected by the air in the bottle, by light exposure. There was a CDC article that was accepted for publication. CDC. Woohoo! That measured nicotine accuracy and alkaloid concentrations, and the numbers were off, but it did not address the alkaloid production during storage. So what if they took a bottle, right, that was on the shelf for 18 months? Do you think it's going to match what the label says? Uh, I'll get to that in a second, Sean. So this is another study that was proposed. The protocol... 
wanted to collect samples from the U.S. and the European markets, I think this needs to be done for PR purposes, if not for the FDA, for PR purposes. Evaluate the nicotine levels compared to the labeled values and inter-batch consistency. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. Let's get a 1,000 samples. Let's test the nicotine levels. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and add oxygen for a dollar. I'm down for that. <laughs> Evaluate the levels of tobacco alkaloids and compare them with acceptable USP limits. And objectively present the lack of risk associated with slabling because the USP accepts a 10% deviation. He's asking for cooperation with the e manufacturer to obtain the samples during production, right? Which I think is a great idea. As soon as you produce the e-liquid, right before you bottle, obtain a sample. Measure the nicotine and the minor, the minor alkaloids at the date of production and then store the samples for different time periods and analyze nicotine levels in alkaloids. So let's say we get it today. Three months, six months, 12 months. Let's see what happens. And then we have we have a pattern. We, we'll, we'll know if we test that in various e-liquids. We'll know. And as an industry, we can say, hey, this vape juice, best vaped by this date. Right? Every other product, even Coke has, every other product has it on there. We don't. We, we generally say it's good for a year. That's what we say. <laughs> That's what we say. I mean, why? I don't know. It just sounds good, I guess. One year is good. But but do we have do we have the data to back it up? I'll get to that too, Stara. I'll get to that too. Trust me. I've got a lot of things lined up. Let me get through these these studies that I believe are are um, are extremely important. Biomarker maker, markers of exposure. This is you know widely used in smoking research to evaluate the exposure to toxins. We have not done this at all. TSNAs, aldehydes, acrolines, benzene. Most biomarkers have a short life, so changes in exposure can be rapidly observed. Also record the diet, since some of the toxins can also be present in diet. People don't understand that, based on what you eat. He wants to recruit three groups, smokers, vapors, and a control sample. The control sample will be non-smokers. And then obtain a 24-hour uh, urine collection and measure the biomarkers. Also record the diet for a week, and then compare between the groups. If the money allows, maybe add a fourth group of dual users. The last study is the flavors, which I think is currently, to me, I don't know. I don't know if you guys agree, but I think if you had to pick one thing that's happening on the e-cig on a constant basis, as far as the mainstream is concerned, it's flavors. It's currently the most discussed issue. Any any article that you're going to see, you're always going to see that one phrase that they contain flavors, including uh, cotton candy. That's like that's like I think that every reporter has that line somewhere stored in their computer. <laughs> I agree, Cherry. I agree. So I think that the flavors are a real threat for restrictions, and and Doctor F does as well too, because if they ban flavors. You can kiss the vapor product goodbye. 
we all know that flavors is what's helped us quit smoking. They're needed based on Dr. Farsalino's protocol. And the variability is extremely important. Don't you agree? I guarantee you, you know, everybody's going to listen to the replay and the people that are in chat today, you're probably vaping a different flavor. Every one of you. Also, we haven't taken consideration the impact of flavors have, that, that were proven for the non-nicotine gums. Flavored gums reduce smoking craving more than unflavored gums. There has been a study done on that. If you remember, I talked about it a couple months ago here on Smoke Free Radio. It is extremely important to show that flavors in e-cigarettes are important. I don't think that there's anybody that disagrees with that. So what he wants to do, he wants to do a study in a clinical setting, recruit smokers, ask them to use flavored and unflavored e-liquid blinded with the same nicotine concentration in two days in a randomized crossover design. For flavors, they will be asked to choose their favorite from a selection of five to seven different flavors because personal preference is important. I like watermelon. You like cherry. Somebody likes them both. Evaluate the nicotine craving suppression and satisfaction effects through validated questionnaires and then evaluate the plasma nicotine levels in both sessions at baseline and at predefined time periods of use. It's a pretty simple study. And it's a much needed study for reinforcing the fact that flavors are what's keeping people off cigarettes. There were some other studies included, uh, uh, you know, changing nicotine levels and uh, blindly, like giving somebody a six milligram when they're used to vaping 12, if they're going to be able to tell the difference, uh, if it's something that's just a psychological placebo effect or, you know, how uh, how many meals the person that's not going to get the, um, you know, if you're vaping 12 milligrams and somebody gives you six, are you going to vape more? Basically to show that this product is controlled by the user, do you agree with me? If we need more nicotine, we're going to vape more. If we take too much, we're going to feel it. We're going to stop. What other product gives you that freedom? We can actually do a study to prove that. We can prove that this is a user-controlled intake of a cleaner delivery method of nicotine. We want more, we vape more. We want less, we vape less. In short, because I don't want to blast you with all these these protocols that were presented, I try to pick the most interesting ones. After all these presentations, the scientists were asked to leave the room. And the attendees had a discussion about the presentations. Let me read to you who was there, briefly. I'm going to skip over some people that are not associated with with the industry. Altria Client Services. American Enterprise Institute, Arista Laboratories, Ballantine Brands, that's Mystic, if you don't know. CB Distributors, Dosal Tobacco Corporation, DRL Enterprises, E-Lights UK, which is now bought by Japanese Tobacco International, E-Nicotine Technology, 
Imperial Tobacco Limited, Japan Tobacco International USA, of course. I actually met the guy, Tom Hirschfeld, from, from Japan Tobacco International. And uh, this is just a little side note, funny story. He was sitting right next to me. And uh, he was vaping uh, on an Ego with a Kangermini Aero Tank. They don't sell these, by the way. They only sell cartomizers and stick batteries. So I asked him, I was like, uh, you're not vaping your own product. He says, well, I went to the mall, and I picked this up, and it's some tobacco. It doesn't taste good. So I gave him some juice. I'm like, here, <laughs> have some good stuff. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. I mean, how cool is that, right? I'm sitting next to Tom Hirschfeld. I'm giving him juice. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. National Tobacco Company, Kingmaker Marketing, Lancaster Leaf Tobacco Company, Vector Brands, Miguel Martin from Logic. I'm going to talk a little bit about him. Remember that name, Miguel Martin, Logic Technology Development. Enjoy, David Graham, of course. Plume USA, Perillium, their flavor manufacturer. Reynolds American, oh boy. <laughs> Representing the Schroeder industry, uh, Legacy, Ray Nyora. Sweetest Match North America, Jim Solis, which I really enjoyed his presentation. Um, we all should encourage that uh, that the FDA accepts this this modified risk application for snus. George Castle Smith, that's another name that you guys have to remember, representing tobacco technology. It's a tobacco maker that's now manufacturing e-liquid. Universal Leaf Tobacco Company. Venable LB and VMR products. So we're sitting in this room, and after the presentations, the moderator asked, so what do you guys think? What do you think about all these protocols? All these these presentations that were made by these scientists, uh, all these studies that need to be done, what do you guys think? None of them were accepted. None of them. For a couple of reasons. Obviously, some people just don't want to foot the bill for everybody. Okay? I mean, that's just, that's just economic sense. People say, well, we're going to put up, you know, a million dollars each here. We're going to put all this money up, and everybody's going to piggyback our tail. But the biggest question was, how will these studies help us with the FDA? Right? Huh. How will these studies help us with if Do we know that the FDA will want these studies? That is a corporate answer, right? So you want to wait for the FDA to put out the deeming regulations and last minute say, oh, we got to do a clinical study, buddy. <laughs> By the way, some of these studies were in the $100,000 range, right? We're not talking about millions. Some of them were, but a lot of them were lower cost studies that even if the FDA doesn't use them, even if we can't submit it with an application, it would certainly help us 
in the mainstream media category, in the PR category. In fact, I posed the question that to Dr. F when he was up there, out of all the studies that are out there, what do you think is the most critical that we need to do now because we're getting killed in mainstream media? And of course, flavors and uh, and temperature study, I think, is uh, is the top two that we need right now. And thankfully, we're going to get the temperature study funded. Another problem arose in the discussion after. I call it a discussion after. Castle Smith, tobacco maker, tobacco company that's now manufacturing e-liquid, and Miguel Martin, CEO of Logic, both sell a closed vapor product. Both of them. They brought up a couple of questions about the open vapor market and the refillable market. One brought up the question that, hey, um, what's stopping my liquid now? Somebody taking it and putting it in a device and they crank up the watts and they're getting carcinogens. And Dr. F flew off the end. I mean, it was the best moment for me for four minutes there. It got really, really heated. And, uh, man, you know, being a Greek and, you know, having a temper, it was fantastic. Dr. F asked him, how do you know? First of all, how do you know somebody's taking your product and using it? Who who would buy your juice to drip it? (laughs) This is a good point. But second of all, how do you know they're getting carcinogens? Have you done testing with your company? Have you invested the money to do testing to say something like that in an e-vapor conference? And boy, Castle just turned red. He's like, well, well, you know, well, you know, we do, we, you know, we haven't really done testing, but I'm just saying. And here jumps up Miguel Martin, the CEO of Logic, and says, well, the refillable market is not a significant portion of the market. Listen to this. It's not a significant portion of the market. Are you fucking kidding me? We are outselling cigalikes by far. This was stated by Bonnie Herzak at the New York e-cigarette conference I attended two weeks ago. She said that the open vapor market, which is now called vapor tank mod market, by the way, in, in Wells Fargo terms, is outselling the Sigalike product. Do you think they don't know that? So Scott from Nickwood jumped up and said, hey, 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 hold on a second. Hold on a second. We're a big industry. Dr. F jumped in and says, how do you know? Bonnie Herzog said that the vapor tank market is, is huge, bigger than the Sigalite. And you know what he turned around and said? We don't have any data. <laughs> do you have any data to back up that statement? Shit, he's right. <laughs> as much as I want to blast him, he's right. But Scott said, you know, we, we can collect the data. And you know what Miguel said afterwards? Where's your representation here? Folks, I had no answer. Representing the open vapor market in a crucial science funding collaborative conference, me representing Mountain Oak Vapors, Scott representing Nickwood, and Donovan representing Avail Vapor. 
That's it. That's it. Just the three of us. Just the three of us sitting here in a room full of giants. <laughs> I like how you said Mystic is open vapor. Partially, yeah. He sure didn't speak up. Neither did Enjoy. Dr. F's in the house, by the way. I'm going to bring him in here in just a little bit. Well, certainly there were people in there that support tobacco harm reduction. But we're talking about the industry, representing the industry, the manufacturers. Three. Three. I posted this stuff on Facebook. I lost like seven or eight people on front of me, which is great because I got people on standby. I'm full on my list. But I'm sure some vendors got offended that I called them out. Listen, I don't give a shit. Where were you? Where were you to have our back? Oh, you know, I didn't know nothing about it. You know why Mountain Oak Vapors hired me? To let them know about it. <laughs> That's my job. To go to these conferences to represent the, the, the company and the industry. And I'm volunteering my time blogging from this event to help you. And you tell me you didn't know about it? Pay somebody to know about it. What are you doing with all your millions? Let's not fool ourselves here, guys. There's at least 100 companies here that are, that are doing huge numbers in the United States as far as e-liquid manufacturing. I don't want to call them out. You know who they are. I just told you the only three that was there, so pretty much everybody else, Right? It's not about promoting Niquid or Avail or any... It's, it has nothing to do about that. I want to fight. I want to fight for this product, but I need your help. When Miguel Martin, that little piece of shit, stood up and said that, I wish we had 40 people stand up and say, hey, hold on a second. We're here, and we're representing this product. We represent the open vapor market. We represent the refillable industry, and we have a say in this. So I said that this is a fragment, fragmented industry. We're fragmented to three three different industries right now. I thought it was two. Guess what? It's three. We have companies that are interested in sustaining, doing things by the book, being professional, and being around to help smokers quit. We have another company, another excuse me, another fragmentation, another piece of the industry that they just don't care. It's a short-term girl goal. Get out there, sell what we can, couple years, bank, and get the hell out of there. Now we have a third part of the vapor industry, and that is the closed vapor product that is advocating to ban refillable product, guys. Sfada, Amza, Casa, they all have facilitated sit-downs with the FDAs, right? We go into the FDA and we say, we're a refillable product, we have these products on the market, we try to explain them. Do you think... That the other companies are just sitting in the sidelines letting us go into the FDA. I guarantee you Logic has had probably more sit-downs with the FDA than all of these groups combined. And guess what they're saying in there? Look at these guys. They're vaping at 260 watts. And it's dangerous. 
and it's promoting to kids, and kids are getting killed, and the users, the employees that are handling nicotine, we need vapor product, but we need it in our business model. Where were you? We have a huge fight. Forget the antis, forget the government, forget the CDC, forget all that. It's within the industry that we're fighting right now. Not one front, but two fronts. It's coming from the front and it's coming from the back and we're sitting in the middle and we're going to get absorbed. We're going to be eliminated. Unless we do something about it. Be right back. Let me bring Dr. F in. This is the one and only Glitzy Flitzy, and you are listening to the Greek god of sexiness, Dimitri. Hey folks, P. Bissardo, the Greek lover is in the house. You're listening to Dimitri on Smoke Free Radio. All right, we are back. I'm trying to get Dr. F here on Skype with me. Uh, good evening, Dr. Fasalinos. Can you hear me? Hi, Dimitri. Yes, I can hear uh, you perfectly. Th- thanks for, for joining us. I know it's been a long week for you. Oh. And uh, I just, um, I'm trying to calm down a little bit because before you came in, and we're going to get to some of, some of the specifics from the FDA today. Thanks for joining us. But I was, I was frustrated by the representation of the refillable market at the TMA conference. Am I wrong to be upset? I was probably more surprised than, than you were. <laughs> I mean, you, you're surprised by the lack of attendance? First of all, I was surprised by what I was hearing against the refillable. Second of all, I was surprised by your inactivity once again as a refillable industry. Uh, you were only two people there. You didn't even stand up to what you were hearing. I mean, it's not my job to to, to defend the refillables, and I did it. Uh I could just think, you know, that I should have a good relations with these people because they are potential sponsors. But I cannot withstand, you know, listening to uh, stupid things being mentioned. And I would say inaccuracies. Let's be let's be a little bit uh, more polite and apologize for the previous characterization. But I mean, uh, although it's not my job to defend the refillable industry, I'm not part of the refillable industry. I felt that. Some inaccuracies should not be heard. Uh, I was really pissed off by what I was hearing and by the the whole environment. I mean, um, in the in that meeting, um, I was really surprised by the the way that they approach the cigarette uh, as a product, um, and uh, I was disappointed by the absence of reaction and the absence, you know, in terms of physical presence, of physical absence, sorry, of, of the of the refillable industry. You know, I guess people expect... And my anger is, is, is just because I believe that the refillables are the most effective products uh, in terms of uh, reducing or uh, 
completely substituting smoking. That 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 was where my fear is coming. My 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 um, uh, anger is coming from. Not not because I I like more the refillable industry compared to the cigarette uh, to the cigar like industry. It's just that the cigar likes are not effective. Yeah, and and I guess. I, and I have to mention that Lou Ritter was there from Ames as well too, which I forgot. But you know, he represents. He's a consumer uh, volunteer. He represents uh, Ames. Uh, but as far as uh, manufacturers, there was only three there. But I guess, I guess you know, b- to end this because it gets me really upset. I guess some people just expect you and I to you know just go away from our families and do the job for the entire industry. And this is not going to happen. It's just, I mean, we're not going to win like that. We, we're doomed. And and you said it to me multiple times during the conference. And uh, and and. You know, as much as I wanted to disagree with you, I can't. Well, that's the truth. I mean, I, I, I was really surprised because I've never him, I've never seen such aggression within the industry between two parts of the industry, the cigar-like and the yeah. uh, refillable industry. And it was really shocking <laughs> because I think none of them, neither of the sides have realized that it's the whole product which is at stake right now. And all of you will will disappear. I mean, both the cigar-likes and the refillables. <laughs> and instead of, you know, being united and fight for the for for the survival of the product, you're just fighting each other. I mean, it doesn't make sense. There's no unity. It's fragmented. We're fragmented in different different parts right now. It's and it's getting more and more fragmented. And and you know, just just to end this, I was really really disappointed. And it it, it becomes to the it comes to the fact where you know at at some point when people are going to realize that. Everything that they have out there, all the businesses that they have built, all the families that they feed through their businesses, all of it's going to disappear overnight. It can happen. You know it as a doctor and as a professional in this industry. It's happened before. They can turn off the switch. Now, personally, I think that refillable product will be allowed at some point with the FDA. But I think that the, 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 the standard to, to apply is going to be so high that only a few companies will be able to get through. And, and we know who those are. Anyway, um, that's not the reason why I wanted you to come on today. I wanted you to come on to... Um, to talk about the FDA workshop today. Um, of course, you were on a panel, which is pretty unfortunate. I mean, uh, I think everybody in the vaping community feels like you and, and other uh, scientists that have done tremendous work for the e-cigarette products should be uh, given presentations. Um, but but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. So tell us about your experience today at the FDA workshop. Um, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, if I if I had to choose between presenting and being in a panel, I I would prefer being in the panel, because being in the panel gives you the opportunity to um, comment on anything that has been uh, mentioned uh, during that session or even in previous sessions. So I took that opportunity and I clarified some misconceptions and some uh, mispresentations of, of 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 science and of evidence. Um, I was again disappointed by the lack of knowledge of many of the presenters, by the aggression by many of the presenters. I mean, the only thing you could hear was about the potential risks and potential dangers. There was almost no one discussing about the potential benefits. It is. It was amazing. Well, it was. It was. It was. No one was discussing about any potential benefit. Everyone was discussing only about risks. For example. The small particle size. Yeah. No one mentioned that the small particle size may be good to improve nicotine delivery. Everyone was saying that the small particle size may may be more toxic without having, of course, any evidence that it's more toxic. 
it's really amazing. I, I, I was really surprised. I think I did the best I could because I was the only one basically together with Jim, let's say, Gilman, um, into uh, this uh, panel. Gene Gilman, uh, Gene, Gene Gilman from FOP Labs, by the way. I just want to clarify. Gene Gilman, yes. He was also a member of the panel. Uh, we did our best to, to, to set the thing straight. I mean, to, to provide a different perspective to clarify some, you know, exaggerating claims about risks and so on. Uh, but, you know, it was it was tough. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to be invited again in, <laughs> in, in, in the FDA because I, I expressed my opinion in every case and for every every single subject that was mentioned. Um, uh, but, uh, okay, it was polite of them uh, to, to invite me to participate to the panel and I yeah. think that we did our best to improve uh, any knowledge that uh, they have on on, on e-cigarettes. I think you had some good good points, and I think you, should, you made some great points today from all the feedback that I'm getting. I haven't actually heard the replay. I was traveling today, but I have to give credit where credit is due. One of the questions that was asked that was emailed in was sent by Tom Baker, the infamous Tom Baker. And you might not know him, but he's a, he's a known here on the show. His name is Edward Wolf now. Uh, one of the questions that he sent in that you took and you ran with uh, which was a great thing because it all timed out really good. So I have to give him credit for putting this question. The question was, regarding the presentation on the metals inside the aerosols, all of the data and testing is on cartomizers. Most tank systems used today have no fiber materials beyond silica wicks, have no soldering, the tank is glass, and the only metals used are stainless steel and the canthal wick. Does any of this testing or data represent these products? And if not, are you planning to redo your testing to account for the present marketplace? That question was read, and of course, the lady that was given the presentation, you know, all they did testing on is cartomizers, and that is so not representative of what the industry today is. Do you agree, Doctor? Uh, I agree that uh, the, 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 the testing equipment was completely outdated and, and of very bad quality. Not only that, it was a, an atomizer which they supposed to have bought brand new, but it was already burnt inside. So uh, it was a very, very bad quality atomizer. If I remember well, they had bought some of the atomizers two years before the study. So we're talking about 2011. Uh, uh, and moreover, there were some exaggerating claims in the table where they presented the, the, the results of the metal analysis because the health effects that were mentioned in the last column of the table had nothing to do, uh, was irrelevant with the amount of metals yeah. uh, being found. So, yes, you know that when you are exposed to one metal, you may get chest pain, dyspnea, I mean, breathlessness or whatever, but at which level? Uh, the, the, the levels observed, even from this obsolete bad quality cartomizer, had nothing to do with the health effects that were mentioned in the table. And that's what, that is what I made clear. And I told them that I did a specific analysis analyzing the findings and considering that a, va and a vapor gets 1,200 puffs per day. We, so I, I doubled the average puff number per vapor mm -hmm. just to make sure that no one is going to accuse me of, you know, treating the e-cigarette in a, in a nice way. I, 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 had, I made a very, very strict comparison. I would say biased against the e-cigarette, and even under the worst case scenario, the the e-cigarette 
was the exposure from the e-cigarette was lower than any standard and any um, uh, regulatory defined limit of uh, safety. What I, it was by far below. Even when we exaggerated the number of, puff, of puffs per day, even when we tried to reduce the acceptable safety limits to the lowest possible, we couldn't get the e-cigarette to expose the consumer to higher levels than uh, the acceptable safety limits. You know, one of the general consensus from today's workshop was that from all the presentations, um, there was an extreme lack of knowledge about electronic cigarettes. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 frightening to that everybody that's presenting these cases has absolutely no clue on you know, of course, real time use, uh, <coughs> real data, and and where the industry is now compared to two thousand and nine when the initial test like everything is like a, in a time capsule uh, back in two thousand nine up to two thousand eleven, if you want to call it that. The innovation in this product has moved so fast that either they can't catch up with it or they simply don't want to. They want to just change the data. But it, I truly believe that they're clueless. Uh, I, I agree with you. But you cannot respond to all of these things just by criticizing and without providing data. For example, we are having the issue of formaldehyde and aldehydes in general. But I don't have any data to present. Mm -hmm. I may criticize and say that when the uh, uh, Matsei Gonevich mentioned that uh, formaldehyde is produced above 150 degrees uh, Celsius, uh, yes, but in the experiment where they found that formaldehyde is increased, they were heating the illiquid to 150 degrees Celsius for two hours. <laughs> for two hours. Nothing to do with vaping. Absolutely not. So, however, I didn't have any data myself. Yeah. And I couldn't tell them that formaldehyde levels are not the levels that you are um, presenting. It's something else. Because although we know and we have the protocol, you know that we were struggling with the, with the crowdfunding. Yeah. And uh, now we got the money. Now we're going to start to make uh, the study in the way it should be with measurements of temperature, with definition, clear definition of the dry puff phenomenon. I mean, and we are going to expose all these factors which result in, in mispresentations of, of findings like the famous Japanese study and uh, Japanese finding of huge levels of aldehydes. You know, when, 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 when you cannot just criticize yeah. unless you have data yourself to be able to respond with evidence Criticism will stop at some point. No one is going to hear you because just by criticizing, you don't do anything. I, um, when we talked about this temperature study, I, I got a lot of questions from the community. You know, why do we need this? Why do we need this? Well, look how like <laughs> this is why we need it. And and one of the things from the TMA conference that I got is that a lot of the participants were interested in studies that are going to help them pass the FDA application, but. In this case, we have so much against us that at this point, studies not only help with an FDA application, but also helps the fact that we're getting crushed, crushed in mainstream media by these statements that we can't provide the data to back up. So it's more, more even a, P, less a PR evidence, thing, right? It's very simple, Dimitris. The less evidence that the FDA is seeing, the higher the barrier of the regulation that will be set at the end. It's as simple as that. And I think that It's already very late. You should have done that years ago. And the more evidence that you provide, 
the less strict the regulation is going to be. The more the unknowns and the gaps, of course, they will be obliged, based on their thinking, to impose huge restrictions on the product due to the lack of knowledge, due to the gaps in research. But, doctor, I mean... I think that the industry still has not realized that. I, I, I hope after this episode that they do. And I hope everybody shares this episode for them to understand that without science and without the data, we're not going to be able to do anything. People, th- people think they're going to go to the FDA and put an application and submit their product and pay the money, and that's it. And there's, noth- there's, there's evidence clearly listed in the requirements in filing an application that you have to submit, and it seems like everybody's not paying attention to the big elephant in the room, doctor. I mean, you saw the lack of... The, the I, lack I, of craft- I absolutely agree with you. You know, the regulation is a perfect uh, method of eliminating the whole product. It's very easy to eliminate the whole product through regulation. If they don't understand where they should set the barrier, as I said, and what they should expect from a product like the e-cigarette, they can very easily completely destroy the product and remove it from the market through regulation. It's very, very easy for them. But you have to give them something. You have to give them some evidence. You have to give them some proof that it works, that it's not that bad, that there is a lot of misconception uh, uh, concerning several issues like the toxins released to the vapor and so on. You have to give them the evidence. Otherwise, you will always hear people exaggerating, making claims that we don't know and it's toxic and it's bad and it's this and it's that. Of course, you will see that every day. Three four seven three zero eight eight three two nine. Press one if you have any questions or comments for the good doctor. Uh, you know the variability of the product was something that was discussed at the TMA's doctor, and I want you to expand a little bit on that. Um, I, I believe that within the industry, of course, we're fragmented as well, and there's there's a lot of opposing sides depending on what the product that they're selling is. So. Expand a little bit on that. I mean, I mean, you can't see a stick battery, you know, supporting and funding a project that's going to show the safety of a refillable e-liquid, and vice versa. You're not going to see the refillable product supporting that science. There has to be a common ground, and it seems like we can't find that common ground. You, of course, you have to find a common ground because you know that such studies cannot be supported by one company. Uh, you shouldn't expect to get personal benefits, I mean, as a single company from any study like this, but you have to realize that this now, it's not the time to compete between each other. You have a battle to give with the regulators. So unless you realize that it's the whole product which is uh, facing the, the, the prospect of extinction, it doesn't make any sense to compete with each other because at the end you none of you is going to survive yeah. uh, unless you realize that and this is something that has been realized in the past by several uh, other industries you know the food supplement industry the cosmetics industry all of them were under extinction and they realized that soon enough they you you they developed a union they worked with scientists they developed the standards themselves that's very very important and then there was since they 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 they, they had the product on the market and then there was no threat of extinction of course then the companies will compete between each other. But this is not the time to compete with each other. It's not. 
It, there has to be unity. And, you know, in my ideal world, I'd like to see the different segments come together. It doesn't have to be us going with Logic or with Mystic or with these other companies. I'd like to see all the refillable uh, product makers come together. Uh, you know, if you get 100 of the top dogs in the industry, I know they can put the money inside to fund some studies. I know they can do it. But it's like I'm talking to a brick wall. It's just it's just not happening. It's it really. I mean, I had to literally get on Facebook in a video and Ice Bucket challenge these people to raise this money. And and we're talking about seventy two thousand dollars, right? We're not talking about millions that these. How much did the RJR Reynolds study cost, Doctor? Do you know roughly? Which study are you referring to? The the vapor study that RJR Reynolds did. The tobacco company, the latest study that was done on vapor products. Uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> it was it, it was one that was just uh, just presented lately by by RJR that, that they did a vapor study showing the the cessation of the of the product. Anyway, I mean th- some of these studies are extremely expensive to do. I mean we're not talking about a huge money, especially these small scale studies that that you wanted to present, including the flavors and the nicotine absorption uh, on a blind test between. Listen, I'll give you an example because uh, right now I'm, I'm also seeing some. Stupid comments on Facebook about the crowdfunding and how expensive the study is. I'll give you a characteristic example. The FDA uh, funded the University of Illinois to do Facebook and Twitter mining of data. I mean, just monitoring Facebook and Twitter to check um, what's the patterns of uh, use of, of a cigarette use devices, pat- liquids and so on. They were funded just for this with $2.7 million. Wow. So I would suggest anyone who thinks that $70,000 are too much for a series of protocols, because it's not one study, it's a series of protocols, I would suggest, suggest to him to open his eyes and look around and see what's happening and how uh, science is moving, how costly it is, and how much money you need to do stupid things, let alone studies that will affect not only you know the, the produced data for the regulators, but first of all, produced data which are helpful for the vapors themselves. If they went to Juice Junkies Uncensored and collected data, we're fucked. That's all I got to say. Uh, uh, doctor, uh, uh, back to the FDA workshop. You, you, you listened to some of the presentations, some of the panels. What kind of stood out to you from, from what was said? I can just give you a characteristic example. The presenters who were supposed to know, you know, what's going on had absolutely no idea that there are devices which can measure puff, which have puff counters. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I heard that in CMA I'm too. using the EVIC for one and a half years now, um, measuring and uh, recording puff topography and they didn't even know that such a device exists. It's amazing. And all these people were there to present and educate the FDA. I was really shocked by the lack of knowledge by most, the vast majority of the presenters, by the completely, uh, I mean, uh, uh, wrong perspective of seeing of, of seeing things and uh, evaluating uh, the e-cigarette uh, as a product and its uh, its prospect uh, in terms of reducing smoking-related disease. I mean, they are treating the e-cigarette as a new habit for everyone to adopt. They are treating it as 
uh, a curse that has come and is going to um, addict a new generation of, uh, of people. I mean, no one cares for the smoker. No one cares for the ex-smoker. And no one sees a, any positive aspect of the, of the presence of this cigarette right now. Although, I mean, completely, all the presentations were completely out of context. The lack of, I mean, the lack of knowledge is scary. If they're doing testing, <laughs> if they're if they're the ones that Not are that, consulting the if, FDA, if if they if if you advise the regulator and you have such a lack of knowledge and the regulator is listening to you, that's very scary. Right, right. Well, I mean, the FDA is listening to them because obviously they're not listening to our side of the, the industry, and we don't have anything to present to go. That's going to get started on the same uh, the same topic. Uh, they, there are some there are some people within the, the the community and the industry as well too that are criticizing those data and studies. What do you have to say to them, Doc? I mean, I, I've seen it over and over again. People within the community in in higher places and advocates of this product criticizing data. They're saying that we don't need data, we don't need science. What do you have to well, say to them? They are going to see the consequences of their uh, choices and their opinions. It's it's very easy. <laughs> they will see them. Sooner or later, they will see them. I think they will see them soon enough. Uh, okay, everyone is entitled to have his opinion. Correct. Okay. I, I, I'm not going to, you know, argue uh, at such level. Right. Uh, but just check every other industry in the past. Uh, I've never seen any industry being so inactive at times where the product is at such a risk of extinction. It has never happened in the past. If I mean, I've seen in the past from this industry the most ridiculous statements I have ever heard in my life. Like a person from Tveka saying that it is the obligation of the consumers of the vapors to fund and prove that the product uh, they get is safe. That's completely outrageous. I've never heard anyone ever uh, saying anything like this in any other kind of industry or consumer product, but it shows you the quality of some of the people involved in the e-cigarette industry. I'm not saying that everyone is like that. Right. I mean, I must be clear, but it shows you the quality of some of the people in this industry. I think uh, just saying Teveka is enough <laughs> before, before we get into that. Um, I'm not saying that everyone in Teveka right, right, was right. like that. I just gave an example right. of one of them there. Right. Uh, I'm not saying that everyone which was involved with VECA thinks like this or acts like this. But, uh, I mean, going on a, on a radio show vapors and saying that, I, I can't believe how it was possible for the vapors to just listen to him. Yeah. I mean, it's the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. Um, let's get a little bit more to specific into, into the studies. Uh, when, we're, when we're talking about some of the protocols that were presented at the TMA and what you saw versus what the FDA was asking for, was there any connection between what was what, between you and and Pelosa and uh, and Siegel presented at the TMA conference and what you saw today from the FDA? What were they lacking on? Was there any collaboration between the two? What they were asking for? And what you guys were proposing at the TMA? Uh. We were addressing together with the with the, the other presenters with Poloza and with with Sigil, we were addressing the gaps in research. Mm -hmm. And today it was obvious that our gaps, our our proposals perfectly fit into the gaps in research that almost every presenter um, 
um, uh, almost every, uh, every, every, everyone who, who participated in this workshop presented. Mm-hmm. The lack of uh, adequate knowledge about aldehyde release. Uh, no one, there was only one, and that was surprised, but that was a positive surprise, that someone mentioned the dry puff phenomenon. You know that in the whole literature of e-cigarette uh, research, there are only two studies where the dry puff phenomenon is mentioned, and both are mine. No one else has ever uh, described uh, or attempted to, 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 to evaluate the dry puff phenomenon. Which is the most lethal so, against us, really. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's a natural defense mechanism. Yeah. Having the, the sense to understand that you, are, that you have overheated the liquid, it's a natural defense mechanism. Yeah. Like many natural defense mechanisms that you have, because you are exposed to toxins every day in your life, but there are also some defense mechanisms. Yeah. Now, of course, there is a big lack of knowledge because if you go and say, like I did today, that there is a dry puff, okay, have you ever quantified what this dry puff means? No, you have not. And that's what we want to do. We don't know how sensitive this um, defense mechanism is. We don't know if aldehydes are produced only after the dry puff or they have started to be produced before that. And this is something that even the vapors know because, should know because the vapors, you know, may be reassured that, okay, I'm not having any dry puff, so it's everything, everything is good. But since we have not quantified how sensitive this, uh, this sense is, even the vapor may be falsely reassured that he, he, he has his, there is no threat until he feels the dry puff uh, taste. So it's something that we don't know. So as you see, there are many cases where the real issues and the gap of knowledge is in perfect coordination with the need and uh, for improving uh, the, the safety issues. Of course, there are some cases in regulations where the regulatory requirements have nothing to do with safety. <laughs> they are just, you know, typical regulations for some people to get some money and have nothing to do with safety. But today's discussions referring to e-cigarette uh, aerosol and liquid chemistry uh, showed perfectly that, yes, there are gaps in research uh, and this should be filled. And it depends who is going to fill them and how they're going to fill them. There's definitely a lot of gaps. One of the interesting things that I saw today uh, sent to me through a message was somebody asking, uh, what happens to somebody after 30 years of vaping because we don't have a long-term effect of what this product was going to do? And I, I want you to uh, tell people that may, may not have listened how, how you handled that question. Yeah, it was by Thomas Eisenberg. And I told him that I absolutely agree with you. So what do you propose? If the proposal is to ban the liquids because we don't have 30 years of data, okay, we will never have 30 years data because by banning a product, you will never have the population use it. Second of all, we have never seen a single medication, and I gave the characteristic example of of statins, which are uh, hypolipidemic medications. We didn't wait for 30 years before the statins were approved and introduced into the market. And this has never happened with any medication, long-term medications, like right. uh, medications for hypertension, for high blood pressure. 
We don't wait for 30 years just because we know that there will be some people who will take the, 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 the medication for 20 or 30 years. We can't wait for 30 years before we release a product into the market. It's not financially sustainable, and we would have medicine being 50 years behind what it is now. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And, and, and of course, no one suggested anything, any, any alter, no one had any alternative proposal. I mean, yeah. okay, we don't know what's happening after 30 years. So what are we doing? Yeah, give it, give are us- we banning the product or are we monitoring the use? Yeah. And of course, the lack of any response meant that probably everyone realized that we have to just monitor the response. Right. There is no reason to ban anything. Right. There's enough evidence out there to, say, to, to at least show that this product could save millions yes. of lives. You use the and, short-term evidence, right, as in every right, case. Right. You have some reasonable expectations because you can use common sense, and then you monitor. This is happening in every, every yeah. single case of every product. And, we, and we've and seen here, it with, with a lot of medicines. We're not talking about just a new consumer product. We are talking about a product which substitutes smoking. Right. That's what I made clear. I said that compared to the devastating uh, health effects of smoking, there is no excuse to wait or ban the cigarette. Because it's a product that's going to replace a product on the market that kills millions of people. It's plain yes, and simple. It's not a new habit for everyone to adopt. It is a replacement for a killer. Uh, it's an- as simple as that. Another interesting uh, uh, point uh, that was brought up to me today was uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you are vaping on your DNA 40 temperature control hand on your KFON, uh, which is which is uh, pretty awesome. Uh, but there was the question brought up about temperature and, uh, and and devices that actually monitor the temperature, and apparently nobody knew about this. <laughs> but you did bring it up, and and I heard that that you were going to show it to somebody there at the at the uh, at the workshop. No, what I said was we were talking again about the safety, and I told them that I have a device which I can set at levels which are absolutely safe. I can set it at 150 degrees Celsius and it's going to be absolutely safe. And then I said that if I give this device, which is absolutely safe to 10 vapors right now, all 10 of them will go and buy tobacco cigarettes because no one will like that. So I said, and my one of of my last comments, probably my last comment was this, that the FDA should understand where is the balance between a small but acceptable risk for the user with the acceptability of the product by the users. Because if we have a safe product that no one wants and likes to use, this is useless from a public health perspective. We must, whether we like it or not, we must accept some risk some residual risk, which is much, much smaller than smoking, to maintain the acceptability of the product and the satisfaction which the product gives to the consumers. Right. So the goal should not be the absolute because everyone was talking about safety and safety and safety. So I I try to make clear that the goal should not be the maximum safety because you can make a product very, very safe, but no one would like to use it. And I was glad that uh, there was another person in the panel who I don't remember who he was, who said exactly that. I think it was Gordievich, and I was a bit surprised, mm-hmm. who said that, the same thing, that we must maintain the acceptability of the product. 
we must make sure that vapors like the product. Because if vapors or if smokers don't like the product, it makes no sense if we make it absolutely safe. And it will not make any sense to have it on the market like the nicotine gum, which a exactly. lot of people don't like it, and that's why the success rate is so low. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly that. And- I, I, I'm not sure that the regulators have realized that. You know, it's, yeah. it's a very tricky uh, thing to realize because, you know, they, they have the mentality of the pharma regulation. And with the pharma regulation, you know, especially when you have a, a disease condition where you, you you have very many products in the market, you have to be very careful when you introduce a new uh, molecule, a new medication. Right. But this is, should not be treated as a pharma product. It's completely, completely different story. It seems like even though it's going to be regulated under the CTP, it seems like they're going that route more and more and more. It's like they're going the pharmaceutical route, which doesn't fit this product anyway based on the law here in the United States, which is – a little bit different than what's happening in the EU, where, you know, granted, they're not the best regulations in the EU, but they make more sense than the way that the American government is trying to regulate this product. Do you agree? They are much more feasible in the U.S. Right. In, the, in, the, in the EU, sorry. They, they are much more feasible, although they try to introduce, you know, from the back door, the, the medicinal regulation. Right. Of course, it has nothing to do with the medicinal regulation. I still think that some of the requirements are more than they should have uh, required. Uh, but it's much more feasible for a company to, to, to follow the EU rules compared to following the the, the FDA rules, yeah. which are imposing. I mean, the proposal is is asking for uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars per product, which yeah. is impossible for anyone to follow. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's much worse, although, uh, you know, uh, on first glance, you see, for example, that the EU has set a limit in nicotine levels, and the FDA is not setting any limit on nicotine levels. That's nothing compared to the requirements set by the FDA to have a product approved. I think that the requirements are made in order to ensure that no one will have any product approved. Yeah. And that's, that's my impression. Right. Uh, day two, what do you expect tomorrow, um, doctor? Anything that you're looking forward to uh, based on the panel? Well, uh, I think that uh, the most crucial uh, uh, thing that was presented was uh, today's session about uh, aerosol uh, chemistry. I think that was the most crucial factor and the most crucial discussion uh, in terms of um, uh, the, this, this workshop. Um, of course, yeah. Um, the, the packaging, the labeling, environmental issues, okay, they, uh, they are important in, in their own uh, perspective, but um, tomorrow, you know, um, something that could be interesting is, I, I think, are maybe the public comment session. We, we need to see what, what we, we're going to hear. There are a lot of stakeholders of the industry who are going to, to, to say something. Yeah. I suspect they are not going to be very, very successful, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason is the lack of organization, once again. I mean, personal initiatives, although they may be of um, very good incentive and they, they, they are done in a, in a nice way, they don't work. They don't work. Um, uh, but, okay, you saw that you are there, you are trying to apply pressure uh, with your uh, own uh, way. Um, 
it would be interesting to see the public uh, comment session. Then, um, I think that today was the most crucial uh, um, day of, of, of this workshop. Yeah. I'm not saying that the, 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 all the presentations tomorrow are not interesting, uh, but you know, labeling, uh, packaging, battery safety, I don't think that these are crucial issues because there are already regulations, for example, for batteries uh, or for uh, packaging and labeling. You can use something else. That's not the crucial issue. That These are not issues that are jeopardizing the existence of this cigarette. Uh, I think that the aerosol chemistry, the liquid chemistry, uh, the, battery, the, 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 the battery, the device diversity and the modes of function and how these affect the, the safety or the relative risk, these are the most crucial factors and these were discussed today. And also the flavors. I mean, that's, that's a, it's a burning issue. Uh, a lot of people talk about these flavors that are food grade but not tested for inhalation and the reaction to heat against, I think, once again, as an industry, we've done a poor job in testing these flavors for, for inhalation purposes. That's my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. I think you're going to agree with me, doctor, that flavors is, is a flaming issue. That's the truth, and we have to accept that. Otherwise, we are, you know, fooling ourselves. The truth is that flavors have not been tested for safety. This doesn't mean necessarily mean that they are not safe, but doesn't also mean that they are safe. Right. Uh, we have to show, first of all, that the flavors are important so when we prove that flavors are important, at least this is an argument to allow the presence of flavors in the market. Otherwise, if flavors are banned, it's going to completely destroy the product. Yeah. Because, okay, the vapors themselves, those who are dedicated vapors and experienced vapors, may go, you know, and buy some flavors from uh, the food industry and do the mixing themselves. But these people are the very, very small minority. And what about new smokers, you know, quitting smoking when they use the cigarette? It will, it will, it will be destroyed. I mean, it's a very big threat. And until now, I can tell you that there is only one study that uh, has worked on flavors. It was a survey of dedicated users, so not the best study we can have, but the only we could have at that time. And since uh, December 2013, when the study was published, absolutely nothing has been done on flavors yeah, to show that people need and want flavors. Absolutely nothing. Let's be honest. Which which is, is, is should be the number one thing for open vapor market. Flavor companies and e-liquid companies, that should be their number one goal, is to prove that the product that they're making is desirable by the smokers. And again, once again, Phil, because once again, we always come to the same thing, doctor. I, like you, believe that if we can mount the evidence to prove that this product works to eliminate combustible tobacco, I think that the evidence, once it mounts that high, they're not going to be able to refuse it. However, every time we talk about funding, it's crickets. Crickets. Nobody wants to put their hand in their pocket to fund these studies. And you know, it's that funny and coincidentally, today they were asking questions which we already have uh, uh, decided to address in our own study. For example, Eisenberg was asking what's the level of aldehydes 
depending on path volume and on interpath interval. And these are exactly the protocols that we are planning to do to evaluate the temperatures at different path durations, power levels, interpath intervals, path volumes. And after getting the temperature measurements, we're going, of course, to measure, as you know, as a final step, the aldehydes release at all these conditions. Now, so the questions for which we had no answer, of course, were imposed at a, ta at a time uh, where we were, <laughs> where we were uh, having the, the study uh, already presented you know, a few days ago at right. TMA, and we were discussing the same things. Right. So why didn't we do the study last year? Yeah. Why didn't we do the study earlier? Well, because uh, nobody did an ice bucket challenge. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the only yeah. thing I can see. But at the end we, of the day... We have done it even now without the ice bucket, you know? Uh, at the end of the day, in closing, I know it's, I know you're tired. It's been a long week for you uh, traveling uh, overseas here to come and help us. But um, in closing, I think one thing that I want you to get through is that without having these studies, without doing the right things, uh, this industry will be eliminated. Is that uh, uh, is that a correct statement, Doctor? Well, if you if you haven't realized that yet, and you are asking me to say, then you're having serious well, problems, not yourself as an I industry. Know, I, mean. I, know, I know, but every time that I say it, it's crickets. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's to me, I feel like I'm like I'm fighting a losing fight, and I and I don't see no back into it. But I'm not. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm not, I'm not going to go down without swinging. You know, us Greeks, we. We, we like to fight. All right, Doctor, anything else? Uh, by the way, once one more time, I want to thank everybody. And what I said earlier while you weren't here, what I said earlier at the opening of the show, of course, thanking everybody that donated to the study, uh, vendors, and, and mostly vapors because the vapor response to me, the 5 and the $10 donations were overwhelming. I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't want it to be this way. I wanted the industry to put up the money to raise this money. But you have to agree that even you mentioned to me that you were really shocked on the response from the vaping community. Yeah, uh, I was really surprised. And I'm, I'm telling you that every time I see a vapor contribute, I, I feel a little bit bad because it's not the job, as I said, of the vapors to, to prove that the product is safe. But we don't have any other way uh, anyway, uh, I also want to thank everyone, uh, the vapors who contributed, the vapors who helped, you know, make uh, the, the, the crowdfunding campaign known and spreading the news in, the, in, the, in, in their social media and everywhere. And of course, the vendors who contributed, uh, some of them quite a lot, uh, and um, they, they have helped uh, make this study happen. It's, it's a very important study, I think. First results expected when, doctor? Uh, I'm expecting to submit the first, uh, the preliminary results, submit the paper for publication in mid-January. Mid-January. Uh, yeah, you know that we are working on that protocol for a long time. Yes, we didn't expect yes. the crowdfunding. Yes. We, we used our own resources, our pocket funding, <laughs> our own pocket funding, and we, 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 we have acquired equipment, and we are doing experiments for a long time now. That's partially, so, my, that's partially my fault, because when we were discussing this study in Greece this past summer, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm living in a fantasy world, but when you said it's going to approximate about $70,000 to get this multitude of studies, I mean, it's a combination of studies, I said to you, Shit, that's we'll raise that in two days. I mean, seventy vendors, a thousand dollars a pop. We're going to raise that money immediately. Boy, was I wrong. It's probably one of the few predictions that I've ever made that I was so far off from. But the end result is what counts. We got there, and uh, and hopefully these studies will come out. 
and uh, and and hopefully the industry will step up. I have some more of that in my closing statement tonight. But uh, Doctor, I want to thank you once again for coming on the program. I want to thank you on behalf of all the baby community and all the industry that cares for all the hard work that you do, and uh, and keep up the good work as much as as it will allow you. I know you're always going to speak uh, the voice of the community and point proven at all these events. You're the only one that's using a KFON, so you're my you're my guy. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dimitris. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Doctor. Thanks for coming on. All right, there he goes, everybody. Doctor Konstantinos Farsalinos from the Onassis uh, Cardio Surgery Center in Athens, Greece. Uh, he's a great guy. I mean, what can you say? Uh, like him or hate him, uh, he has done probably the most uh, with some other scientists in, 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 in internationally in the community uh, to to assist vapors and, uh, and and most of all, he's a vapor himself. He believes in the product. Uh, he's an ex smoker, and to me. Uh, that speaks volumes, um, not only from a vapor perspective, but from a scientific perspective. I mean, you have a, a guy that's a cardiologist that's using a, a HANA DNA 40 with a KFON. How fucking cool is that, right? <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Anyway, um, I'm going to end the episode with, uh, with the, the title of the show. And, and we know that this industry is large. We know that the money is kind of spread thin. Uh, but we are fragmented. And this is the time for all of us to come together Um I'm going to make a suggestion. I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. I'm going to make a suggestion. And this strictly goes out to e-liquid manufacturers, which I think lack horribly in organization and understanding what the law is. I'm going to make a suggestion. You all have to come together. This is not a competition. This needs to be a coalition, and it needs to be a coalition now. Neutral location, make arrangements. It doesn't have to be AIMSA. It doesn't have to be CASA. It doesn't have to be SFADA. All it takes is one businessman to the other, pick up the phone and say, hey, it's time to do something. Get all the e-liquid manufacturers, at least those that plan on being around after a couple of years. The rest of you can kiss my Greek ass. It's time to come together. And do something about it. Raise some money for some studies. Request a sit-down with the FDA. We can do it. Hire an attorney to request a sit-down with the FDA. Let's get some feedback. Let's show them what we're doing. Let's gather some information. Let's gather some studies. Let's present something to the FDA that says, Hey, we are here. We are a huge part of the industry. We have helped millions quit smoking. The FDA is not going to take your word. You're going to have to back your statement up with data. It's time to unite. Spread the word. Pick up the phone. I don't care if the guy down there has a bottle that's similar to yours or if he copied your technique or if he tried to copy your flavor. Come on. There's only uh, X amount of flavors that you can do anyway, right? You're probably on Facebook on some DIY group when you started the vape and you became an e-liquid manufacturer afterwards. Come on. Put all the drama, put all the bullshit behind. Just pick up the phone, talk to somebody. Get together. Start a coalition. Or we won't be around. It's plain and simple. Having said that, it's time for me to take a little break. I am wore out. Uh, I am physically and emotionally uh, exhausted. Um, I've been in the public eye for a long time. Over three and a half, four years now doing these shows. And I can 
certainly put up with trolls. I can certainly put up with attacks, personal attacks, calling me whatever names. I can put up with all that. I have got pretty thick skin. But one thing that I can't put up with is when I see my character changing. And my character is changing because of the frustration. It's affecting my life. It's affecting my work. And it's affecting my family. Maybe I'm too passionate about this product. But it's time for me to to take a little break. So this will be the last episode of Smoke Free Radio for this year. Um, maybe I'll see you in 2015. It's all good. I'm going to New York City for Christmas, baby. Have a Merry Christmas, everyone.